ask you to turn there in your Bibles. Be reading that entire chapter, as we'll be preaching from that text today. We started there last week, so we want to read the entire chapter again to see that the whole uh, context. So let's stand then in respect to the reading of God's Word. If you don't have a Bible of your own, our ushers have Bibles available. Just raise your hand and it'll bring one to you that you can use throughout our service this morning. Mark chapter 14, this entire chapter, please give attention in respect to the reading of God's holy word. It was now two days before the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth and kill him. For they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly, and she broke the flask and poured it over his head. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, <clears throat> indignantly, why was this ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her, but Jesus said, Leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly, I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money, and he sought an opportunity to betray him. And on the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, Where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. And wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, The teacher says, Where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished and ready. There prepare for us. And the disciples set out and went to the city and found it just as he had told them. And they prepared the Passover. And when it was evening, he came with the twelve. And as they were reclining at table and eating, Jesus said, Truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They began to be sorrowful and say to him one after another, Is it I? He said to them, It is one of the twelve, one who is dipping bread into the, into the dish with me. For the Son of Man goes as, is, as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. And as they were eating... He took bread, and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to them and said, Take, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus said to them, you will all fall away, 
for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, truly I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. And they went to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And he came and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again, he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again, he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy. And he did not know what to, and they did not know what to answer him. And he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. And immediately, while he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Now the betrayer had given them a sign saying, the one I will kiss is the man. Seize him and lead him away under guard. And when he came, he went to him at once and said, Rabbi, and he kissed him. And they laid hands on him and seized him. But one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. And Jesus said to them, have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day I was with you in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me, but let the scriptures be fulfilled. And they all left him and fled. And the young man followed him with nothing but a linen cloth about his body, and they seized him, but he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. And they led Jesus to the high priest, and all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes came together. And Peter had followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he was sitting with the guards and warming, warming himself at the fire. Now the chief priest and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death. But they found none. For many bore false witness against him, but their testimony did not agree. And some stood up and, be, and bore false witness against him, saying, we heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and in three days I will build another, not made with hands. Yet even about this, their testimony did not agree. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, Have you no answer to make? What is, what is, it, what is it that these men testify against you? But he remained silent and made no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am. 
and you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his garments and said, What further witness do we need? You have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. And some began to spit on him and to cover his face and to strike him, saying to him, Prophesy! And the guards received him with blows. And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came and seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were with the Nazarene Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway, and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him and began again to say to him, again to say to the bystanders, This man is one of them. But again he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, Certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. May the Lord give us understanding in this passage that we preach through this morning. Let's take a moment to bow in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for bringing us together today. We thank you for the fellowship of the saints, this small um, part of it. We meet together here at Sweet Communion. We thank you for your protection of us during the week. We thank you for how you have kept us as a church these 27 plus years. We thank you for each one, each part, uh, each person that's a part of this fellowship. And we thank you for those who attend and those who are visitors as well. Each of us, Lord, we pray that we will hear your word. We pray that we would be moved by your word, that your Holy Spirit will make plain what you would teach to us today and teach it in such a way that it registers within our hearts and that our love and our devotion for you is shown in our commitment and our surrender to you. So show us ourselves today and show us our Savior who has loved us and done for us what none else could do and what we could not do for ourselves in giving himself to die on the cross as payment for our sin. That is why we come today. That is why we worship him today. You have opened our eyes to let us see Jesus and to appreciate him as the Lamb of God, the Passover Lamb, the ones who, whose blood has been given on our behalf that our sins might be paid for and we might be set free, free to serve you, to honor you, to glorify you with all our lives. Bless your service today and your word as it goes out. We ask blessing, Lord, for those who 
are traveling this weekend, especially those who are part of our fellowship. We think of um, Andy and Chantel as they travel this week. We think of Bonnie and Bill as they travel this week. We think of Cal and Marge as they travel this week. And any others that we haven't mentioned, we would pray that you would be with and protect those who travel. We thank you for what we celebrate um, as a nation, those who have given their lives for the service of this country. We thank you for, for them, the sacrifice that's been shown, the commitment that they have shown, the dedication that they have shown so that we might enjoy the liber liberties that we have right now. We pray that we would respect what they have done and show that respect in how we respect and hold and regard the nation that you have built here in America. And Lord, we just um, pray for those who are sick, those who have health issues, some who will be going uh, for various tests and different exams. We just pray that you would be with, that your peace might rule in their lives. I pray for my father today that you would watch over and bless him that uh, in this last stage, these last stages of his life, we don't know how long that's going to be, but we pray that you give him grace. We pray that you would give comfort to him and allow his testimony to be spoken to his loved ones, to his friends, and all that who can see, to see his life that points to you. So I thank you for him. I thank you for his testimony. And I pray for this service that you would be glorified in all that we do, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. amen. Please be seated. Our journey through Mark is a journey that follows the life of Christ. We have seen him in the works that he's done and his miracles, and we've seen him be rejected by the leaders of Israel, and we've seen him warn his disciples that he is on his way to Jerusalem, and there he is going to be arrested. There he is going to be crucified, killed, but he's also going to rise again. In this chapter, we see those events beginning to unfold, and we see um, Jesus spending time with the disciples and teaching them uh, what's about to happen and preparing them for what's going to happen. In this chapter, as we started out last week, we see the contrast of those who hold Jesus in low regard and those who hold him in high regard. We saw that with Mary and her offering of giving that costly ointment and pouring it out on Jesus and sparing no expense to honor him. And yet we see Judas right before that. Actually in verse 1, we see those who, who hate Jesus and want to kill him. And then in, in verse 10 and 11, Judas who, who uh, seeks opportunity to betray Jesus. Now we start today... With verse 12, Jesus
celebrates the Passover with his disciples. It's interesting that we would cover this passage on this day because the Passover was to be practiced in Israel and Jesus is going to, uh, his disciples ask him, how are we going to keep the Passover? They know that it's Jesus' practice as was the responsibility of every Every Jew, every male was to keep the Passover each and every year. And so Jesus is going to do that. But the Passover really is about Jesus himself. He fulfills the Passover. The term Passover points specifically to the lamb that was to be killed. The blood was to be taken from that lamb that was sacrificed by each household, and each household was to apply that blood on the sides of the doorposts of their home and over the top of the lintel, and God had promised for whoever would apply that blood, he would pass over, or the death angel would pass over that particular household. You know the plagues that were given to Egypt that, that God had given several plagues, and, and he said, this is going to be the last one. I'm going to bring the death angel to judge Egypt and, and all, of their, all of them. In fact, I invite you to turn to Exodus chapter 12, and let's just look briefly at, at, at that passage there. Exodus chapter 12. So significant was the Passover. He says in verse 2, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. What is God saying? He's saying, I want you to recognize that you are to tell time by what God has done for you and how this is going to be fulfilled in the future. You're going to recognize this. So it was to be the first month for them. And he says, this is what's going to happen. He says, verse 3, Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. He goes on in the detail. And then in verse 7 he says, They shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They, they shall eat the flesh that night. Um, verse 11. In this manner shall, you shall eat it, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. And you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. He says, be ready to move, basically. What was God going to do? This is the last plague that he was bringing on Egypt. And he says, after this... Be ready to move, because I'm going to deliver you out of the hand of the Egyptians. Now, let's continue on. Um, verse 12, for I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. 
Then in verse 14, he says this, This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout, all, throughout your generations as a statute forever. You shall keep it as a feast. And so he's given this, this memorial day, this, this day to look back and remember what God had done for them. And they were to remember that. So we go to our text in Mark 14 and we see that Jesus, his disciples, ask him, how are we going to celebrate the Passover now? And he gives them specific instructions on how to do it. Jesus Christ himself is being illustrated in the Passover. He is the lamb, John the Baptist, in, in John chapter 1, verse 29 and verse 35, he pointed out, behold the lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. He is the Passover lamb whose blood applied on the doorpost uh, uh, would cause God's judgment to pass over. How is that to, to us today? Those who trust in Jesus Christ, those who trust in his crucifixion, his death, as the payment for their sin, God will pass over them in judgment, and they will, in fact, experience God's grace. Jesus himself is being illustrated in this Passover. And so uh, we see in Mark chapter 14 um, that, that this is an illustration of him. Now, Jesus makes the point even more clear in verses 22 through 25 that he institutes what we call the Lord's Supper. He institutes that on the day, on the night that they were eating the Passover meal. And he says in them in verse 22, it says, while they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to them and said, take, this is my body. He took the cup when he given thanks, he gave it to them, and they drank all of it, and they all drank of it, it says. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Jesus says, I want you to, to remember this. So... He uses this time when we take the Lord's Supper, and we call it communion, that we are to remember what Christ has done for us. Just as Israel remembered the Passover, we connect Passover, Lord's Supper, all point to Jesus Christ. And he is that one who has given his blood to give us a new relationship with God, a new covenant that comes by Jesus' blood. If you don't trust in Jesus' blood, you cannot be a part of the new covenant with God, a new uh, uh, agreement, a new covenant that has your sin paid for by what Jesus has done. Next we see in this chapter that Jesus foretells of Peter's denial, verse 26 through 31. You wonder, I wonder, why would Jesus say this and what's the significance of it? Jesus says, he, he informs the group. Verse 26, it says, when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus said to them, you will all fall away, <laughs> for it is written, I will strike the shepherd. And the sheep will be scattered. You wonder, well, why, 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 why do you share that now, Jesus? 
First of all, they didn't believe it, but that's why he shared it. Because they would not be able to keep the commitment of their flesh. Just as you and I can't keep the commitment of our flesh. We want to make great commitments. Oh, Lord, I'm going to love you. I'm going to serve you. We don't have the power in our power, in our flesh, to, to, to keep that commitment. Peter boasts, and he says, hey, even if everybody turns away from you, I'll serve you unto death. I want you to examine that statement. He makes a strong statement. Jesus says, wait a minute, Peter. Before this night is over, you're going to deny me three times. You're going to deny me. He wants Peter to know that in his flesh, he can't keep the commitment in his heart. But he wants him to know that for a reason. And here's the encouragement. Not just to make him feel bad, but he might know where his strength lies. I want you to look. If you can look further in the life of Peter, you will know that he was intent and zealous, and he, in fact, did serve the Lord unto death. But what he learned is that power doesn't come from within us. It's not our power. It's God's power that we walk in that allows us to serve. So Peter boasts, and Jesus says, you can't keep that promise. You can't keep that. It's not for you to boast in your zeal or your, your commitment. But God is going to give you the power to do what he has called you to do, and you will, in fact, walk in it. Peter did walk in it, but it wasn't his power. It's God's power. Peter had to be humbled. Just like you and I, we have to come to the point where we re realize our resolve to do something is not good enough. Doesn't mean we shouldn't resolve. It just means we cannot keep it by our own resolution, our own desire to do something right. Something has to happen within us by God's power to allow us to do that. Now, that doesn't take us off the hook. And I don't want you to misunderstand and say, like, God is saying you don't have to be committed to him. No. All the disciples were committed. All of them, though, when Jesus said this, I'm going to strike the shepherd and you're going to flee, all of them fled. None of them had the power to do, to keep, to, 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 to cast the check that their mouth had, had, had issued. None of them could do that. Jesus wants us to know our strength is not enough. We need his Holy Spirit enablement. We need to take the pride out of that and walk in the strength of God. Now, that's something that you can't explain to a person. You have to live it. Peter had to live it. He had to disappoint the Savior, and then be comforted by the Savior, and then be comforted with the fact that it's me living in you that gives you the power.
to live this way. So Jesus shares, he informs his disciples so they wouldn't fall into despair. If you go back to John chapter 20, you'll see, or it's John 21, you'll see Peter and Jesus ministering to Peter after he had, he felt so bad. You don't have to turn there, but if you look in, in our passage in Mark chapter 14, you see the last sentence. He broke down and wept. He cried. He was humbled <laughs> because he had disappointed Jesus. We are not super saints, but we have a super savior. I want you to see something else, though. There's a different warning that Jesus gives to Peter and the disciples about denying him that's different from what he said to Judas, who betrayed him. Might not seem like a big difference, but there's a huge difference between the two. He says to Peter, in verse 30, truly I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. Jesus just speaks the truth. It doesn't sound good, and Peter doesn't like the way it sounds. And he's like, no, no, you got, you got me wrong. But no, Jesus isn't wrong. He knows our weakness. He knows the limitations of our flesh. And he is, in fact, in the position to encourage Peter. Peter, I'm letting you know this happens. This is going to happen. And when it happens, you're going to come back to me. And you're going to serve me. He doesn't say all that in this passage, but the purpose of him telling them this is so that he won't grow into despair. It's like, I told you, man. I told you. But it ain't over. Notice what he tells Judas. Totally different. Verse 19. They began to be sorrowful and to say, one, say to him one after another, Is it I? When he says, One of you will betray me. Verse 20. He said to them, It is one of the twelve, one who is dipping bread into the dish with me. Jesus is saying, Look, the, the guy that shared a meal with me, that walked with me, that was with me. He's one of the 12, not just kind of like on the outskirts of, of people who followed me, but he's one in the inner circle. He ate with me every day. And at this special meal, I'm just hours away from my crucifixion. He was right there, but he was fake all the time. And this is what Jesus says about him. Verse 21 for the Son of Man goes as it is written of him. In other words, look, this is what God has in store for me. He's saying, this is my cup. This is the purpose that God has for the Son of Man, that, that he is going to be betrayed. He is going to be left all alone. He is going to be mocked. He's going to go through a trial that's, that's, that's a joke in terms of justice. And he is going to be put to death. He is going to suffer on that cross. He is, he is going to be poured out. This is God's plan. 
But then he says, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Jesus never says that about Peter who would deny him. He says that about Judas. You see, when we disappoint God, there is remedy. There is forgiveness, and there is grace that God offers in his loving way. He says, I welcome you back to me. You might be ashamed, and so you should be, because you learned something about yourself. But I knew that all along. I knew what your limitations are, and I chose you anyway. Now he says to Judas, I knew you was going to betray me all the time. You was a backstabber, just waiting for an opportunity, and soon as the money was good enough and the opportunity came, you took it. And he says, woe to you. There's no recovery. There is no grace offered. There is no recovery. God's judgment is upon that one. He says, it's been better for you if you've never been born. There's nothing more that can be done for you. Jesus makes that plain and clear in the case of Judas, but there's a great contrast. Aren't you glad that, that even if you disappoint the Lord, he welcomes you back. He says, look, you didn't surprise me. You surprised yourself. You thought you was all that. I knew you weren't all that, but I still love you. And I care for you, and I welcome you back. What a great difference. It's a difference of the heart. A heart that God has impacted for his glory. One for the grace of God, we would be more like Judas than like Peter. But for the grace of God, he has called us to himself. And he says, walk with me. And he says, when you slip, when you fall, when you don't meet that standard that you thought you could meet, my grace draws you, hugs you, and grabs you, and brings you in. Jesus illustrates that even more in the next section. That's the part where Jesus prays in Gethsemane. He agonizes over his cup. It says he went to this place called Gethsemane. He's told his disciples, I want you to sit here while I pray. Now, you know the story. We read it. He says, sit here while I pray. He prays. He comes back. What happens? They're asleep. Now, he scolds them. Peter, what, what? you can't watch for a, a, just a moment, just for an hour? In the meantime, he prays to God. One of the most agonizing prayers that, 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 that can be prayed. He says, Father, is, is it any way possible that I can get out of this? Is there any way? It shows the agony that he was going to endure for you and for me. 
An agony that we can't begin to imagine either the physical uh, impact that it has on, on, on the physical body or the spiritual impact it has on a holy one taking on sin. He says, Father, is it possible? If it's possible, I pray you, Father, take this cup from me. Now, the cup just represents all that God's purpose is for him in his life. And it's, 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 it's envisioned as a cup that he must drink. It's agonizing that if it's any way, it's like it's so repulsive and it's so difficult. It's so extremely agonizing. It says, Father, I, I don't want to drink it. If there's any way that I can do it without drinking this, is there another way? But then he says this, nevertheless, your will. I want us to see that, that extreme uh, contrast. He's saying this is so, so difficult and agonizing that if there's any way to accomplish what God would have me to accomplish without going this route, I would have taken it. But we see God saying, son, there's no other way. There's no other way. This is the path that I have for you. This is the path that I've had from eternity. In other words, it's like he said, I mean, you talked about this. You know all along that this is required. There's no other way to fulfill. That just shows us the the. The extreme danger of our spiritual state that can't be impacted by anything but Jesus and his death. God says, there's no other way, son, for me to save your people but by you doing this. There is no other way. They can't promise to live better. There's not another man or woman or human being that can come and make this payment that you must make. There is no other way, son. And Jesus says, yeah, <laughs> I knew that all along. It's as if he said, yeah, I, I know. But it's so hard that if there was another way, I beg you to do it. God the Father is saying, there's no other way, son. Can you, can you imagine the agony that the father has? Son, you must bear this. If you've been a father, if you've been a parent, if you, even without being a parent, if you had a loved one who had to suffer, you, you only wish that you could remove that suffering from them. And you would think, is there any way? In fact, what we do is we, we, we cringe and we writhe in pain as if that would help them share, help you share the pain that they have. So maybe I can take some of it for them. But we can't. It is so agonizing that the son wishes he didn't have to do it. The father wished he didn't have to put it on him if there was some other way, but they both agree this is the way. I want you to see the contrast. God doesn't say to Peter, 
you know, you just need to be a little stronger. You just need to do a little better, and you'll be all right. He's saying no. What secures your eternal state is this act that my son and only my son can perform, and that's what's going to make you all right. That's what's going to give, extend to you the grace that's needed for you. It's not your own strength and commitment and your desire and your will. Even the strength and commitment and desire and will that you have comes from God. So in this agonizing, he comes to his disciples and it's like, y'all can't even stay awake for a moment? You talk about you're going to die for me. You can't even stay awake for me. You, you said, Lord, if everybody else runs away, I'll be there for you. And I ask you to stay awake for a little bit. Just tonight. There's nobody beating you. There, there, there's nobody torturing you. There, this is not an extreme hardship. You just can't stay awake. Peter wasn't alone either. This was the upper echelon of the disciples. And Jesus, he, 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 didn't, he didn't say, now, I hope y'all try and stay awake from me, for me. He, no. Stay here while I pray and be alert. They couldn't do it. They couldn't do it. Now, guess what? I know we think I'd have done it. No, you wouldn't. Your flesh would fail you the same way. And that same spirit that we boast of does not come from God. It comes from our flesh. That we can fulfill something that we can't. So he says to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Sometimes God allows us to experience the disappointments in our lives. What I mean by disappointment is times that we fail God. And there's not a person in this room today who has trusted Christ who hasn't failed him in some way. There's not a person here. And I know for myself, we can get to rolling and, and thinking that, that we're just coasting along, and then I will hit something and I say, God, how could I? How could I have thought what I thought? How could I have done what I have done? And my, my mouth is just open. There is no excuse. There is no legitimizing what I've done. Can you see, Peter, what can he say? How come you fall asleep? I, there's nothing to say. But that's where we are. But God does that to humble us so that we might know we must depend on his strength. He says to Peter, 
The flesh is willing, but the spirit is weak. In other words, you have a desire to do something that you don't have the strength to carry out in your strength, but you can in my strength. I'm amazed at how strong the apostles were, I think, after they learned these many lessons. Each one of them ended up giving their very life for the Lord Jesus Christ. So he's not saying that no one can be committed to him or no one should be committed. Or he's not saying, I'm lowering the expectation for you. I know you ain't all that. You can't do nothing. So, hey, don't even try. He's not saying that. He says, I've called you to give your life for my sake. But he's saying you can't do it in your own strength. And by the time when you get finished boasting and thinking that you can, and when you wake up from that disappointment, now you're ready to serve me. Now you're ready to serve. Right after this, he wakes up the disciples. He said, get up, y'all. Y'all rested long enough. It's about to happen. That's what he's saying. It's about to happen right now. You see, at the very moment <laughs> that this is happening to Jesus, his disciples aren't in position to do anything. Now they wake up and they're ready to go, ready to go, ready to go. Look what happens. A huge crowd comes with all their weapons, and leading the group, although I don't think he was walking in front, he was walking behind, like the coward that he is, Judas is leading his group, and he kind of sneaks out from the group. I, I could just imagine, he didn't come with the group. I mean, he came with the group, but as they got close, he kind of mingled back in with Jesus' crowd, you know, and then walks up to Jesus and, and, and gives them the sign that he to give to, to the Pharisees, and now they, they take him. And he gets paid his money. But when this happens, it says something happens. It says, verse 46, they laid hands on him and seized him. Now, you got to understand, laying hands and seizing, that, that ain't a nice, gentle thing. They grabbed him to arrest him, and, and in our day, it'd be like handcuffing him and, and, and subduing him. Well, while they were doing that, the very next verse rings out. It says, but one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Now, the other gospels identify this one as Peter. This is Peter. Peter pulls out his sword. And he, he's ready to do battle. Now, just a moment, he was asleep. Now he's ready to do battle. And he's, in essence, I'm going to prove the Lord wrong. I'm going to show by my own strength that I can keep my word. And it's, it's a very uh, courageous thing because I'm told there's, that there's anywhere from 300 to 600 armed men that are coming to take Jesus. That, that shows you that, um, you know, they want to put him to death, but hey, no joke about it. They knew he had some power. 
And they better not come with just some little bit of something. They better come in full force. And they did. It's the middle of the night. And they come and they attack. Peter in his flesh says, okay, this is my time. I'm going to show my commitment. I'm going to show my loyalty. I'm going to show my strength. I'm going to show my love. I think that's, 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 a, that's an admirable thing. But that's not the part Jesus is looking for. And you don't see Jesus spending a lot of time scolding Peter for this. It's just zeal misplaced. This is what Jesus came for. Now, he scolds them for, Jesus is saying, are y'all kidding? I've been with y'all all day, every day. Y'all could have arrested me anytime. Why did they do it at night? Because they feared the people. They didn't want the people to cause an uprising and say, how can you take the man who healed my son? How can you take the man who fed 5,000 with my little son's lunch? How can you take the man who's done all these great things? They didn't want the people to rise up, so they, undercover at night, but with three to 600 men, came and arrested him. And Peter said, oh, I ain't letting you do this. And, and in his flesh, he, he strikes out to fight back, and, and he means business. And he's aiming for the head, but he, he, he misses and, and cuts off the ear. Another gospel tells us that Jesus picked up the ear, put it back on the man, this is an armed, grown guard. Jesus heals his ear in that very moment. And then talks to them and says, you know, you could arrest me anytime. But it shows your shame and your wrong and your wrong intent. Verse 49, day after day I was with you in the temple teaching and you did not seize me. But let the scriptures be fulfilled. What scripture? Here it is. They all left him and fled. All who? All the disciples. All the committed followers, including Peter, left him and fled. I think Peter, during this time, had these flashes of, hey, you know, oh, man, I wish I could have done more. Let me prove myself to God. Let me prove myself to God. Let me prove myself to Jesus. I think verse 51 and 52 is unique, too. It says, a young man followed him with nothing but a linen cloth about his body. And they seized him. But he got out of there. He left. That little bit of clothes he had on, he left, and he got out of there. Now, um, history tells us, or some, some of the um, commentators think that this may have been Mark, the writer here, and... and uh, I see no reason why it, it couldn't be him as well. Uh, for one, the, the passage earlier speaks of Peter, which Mark and Peter were very close, and Peter's name isn't mentioned, and now we see this other guy, and uh, perhaps that, that could have been Mark that, that uh, just acknowledges his role and part in it, is that, look, these men tried, and they tried to be courageous, and they tried to stand up for the moment, but in the end, their flesh was not the strength that they could rest on. And they eventually ran too. So God is not asking you to come in your machoism and serve him. He doesn't need that. He's got all the power. 
if he wanted to save Jesus from the cross, he would have done so. In fact, in another gospel, Jesus said, look, I have authority. I could have called 12 legions of angels, and they would immediately come to my call. They watch over me. They're at my beck and at my command. But he chose to go to the cross. They didn't force him. He gave himself willingly. Another counter of the gospel says, when this band came to him and Jesus said, well, here I am, take me, all the band fell down flat on the ground. In other words, they had no power of their own to do this. This is Jesus willingly giving himself. Then we see the account of Jesus before the council. Jesus is judged and condemned. They saw testimony so that they could give a death sentence to Jesus, but they couldn't find any consistent testimony. No truth. And so look at verse 57. Some stood up and, be, and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and in three days I will build another not made with hands. And look at verse 59. It's like a joke. Even about this, their testimony did not agree. It's not even what Jesus actually said. Jesus said, destroy this temple, and in three days I'll raise it up. They, they even got that confused. They, they, they came with false accusations, and even the accusations that they, get, that they had weren't consistent and they knew it they fell apart so what happens you ever get in an argument one person is saying this and the other person is saying that well in this case Jesus is silent and so they're saying they're bringing their accusations and they know themselves like like it's, it's like they, they, they brought all these people to bring charges and, and the Pharisees when they hear these charges like no, man, that, that ain't a good one. We can't rest on that one. That ain't enough. Find some be somebody better than that. And they hear all the ones they can hear, and none of them line up. So what happens? What happens when you're in a fight, and, and all the stuff you're saying, it don't stick, you know? You're trying, to, you're trying to use facts to make your case, and you got nothing to stand on. What happens? People get mad. They go to their emotions. When logic and reason and truth doesn't stand with them, they go to their emotions. That's exactly what happened in verse 50. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? He's like, he, notice Jesus doesn't even respond. It's like Jesus said, this, this is a joke. All the stuff, the charges you bring up are, are totally um, unsubstantiated. They have no truth to them at all. And so the, the high priest, he's just mad now. And he's trying to charge up Jesus. Ain't you going to say something? They're trying to catch him in any kind of slip or fault that they can't. And they cannot. Verse 61, but he remained silent and made no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, are you the Christ? They want him to say something that will incriminate himself. 
And so they asked him straight out, are you the Christ? Look at his answer. I am. I am. And you will see. I am and you will see. Wow. I think Jesus, whatever voice he used, may have been a soft voice, but whatever, those words just reverberated. They, they just echoed in the minds of those people. And I think they're still echoing in history because we're going to see, they are going to see this Jesus who they have crucified come in power. And that's what he says, I am identifying with the God of the Old Testament. I am, and you will see. You will see me in my power. In other words, he said, don't be confused thinking that I have no power now, but you will see me in my great power. Why would they not see him in power? No, they begin to mock him. And we go on through the trial and we see how they, in other gospels, tell us that they put this, this, this robe on him because he's a king. They give him a scepter. They give him a crown because he's a king. But it's a mocking way. It says they spit on him. They cover his face and they beat him and they say, now king, now prophet, prophesy which one of us hit you. They, they mock him in, in this whole thing. It's not only a physical beating, it's a mental ridicule. You say you're this, and yet you've got nothing to say. They think they have the last laugh, but Jesus says, look, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. The high priest tore his garment. What further witness do we need? You have heard this blasphemy. Of course it would be blasphemy if Jesus wasn't who he said he is. And they would soon see that. Jesus is mocked in his trial. He's disrespected. They condemn him to death. They beat him, ridicule him, shame him publicly and privately. And he knew he would go through this. He goes to that, goes through that for your sake and for my sake. Meanwhile, the rest of the chapter deals with Peter and his denial. Just as Jesus said it would happen, Peter does not have the power within himself to keep the commitment that he has made. But he will later. He will later. Because he's a true child of God. It won't be by his boastful power of his flesh. It will be by the Holy Spirit in him to keep what God has committed him to. In John chapter 21, Jesus after his resurrection, meets with Peter and a number of other disciples, and he ministers to Peter. And after ministering and reassuring Peter that I have called you, Peter, and you will accomplish what I sent you to accomplish, he tells Peter, look, when you were young, you went where you wanted to go, but as you went, there's coming a day when you'll be old and others will lead you where you don't want to go. 
And the Bible tells us right there in that gospel that Jesus was saying this to signify the type of death that Peter was going to encounter. That Peter, in fact, was going to be crucified. He was going to be put to death for his love of Jesus. So he, in fact, lived out a commitment to Christ and went to death on that commitment. But Peter had learned a lesson. It was not by his boasting. It was not by his strength. God had humbled him. And in humbling him, he had strengthened, strengthened him to a point that he could not imagine. He was now going to live out that faith. God is calling us to live. He's calling us to be committed to him. He's calling us to acknowledge our own inability to save and to keep ourselves. In other words, to be humble. But that's only half the picture. We're humbled by our own sin and our disappointments of Christ. That humility ought to not lead us to despair, as it would in the case of a Judas. That humility leads us to surrender to Christ. The challenge is when God shows us the end of ourselves, he shows us the limitations of our own strength, will we then surrender to him and say, God, I'm nothing, but I'm yours. And I will do what you called me to do, but I'll do it by your strength. You still called me to do it, but you called me to recognize that it's not in me. I can't boast of anything in myself. I will do it by your grace, by your power living in me. So God has called us to do two things. Acknowledge our weakness, our sinfulness, and our inability. We boast things that we cannot keep. That doesn't mean God doesn't want us to keep them. He wants us to be fully committed. He wants us to walk in his way. So he wants us to surrender to his will and to his purpose. Come to Jesus and surrender. Your life belongs to him. He deserves your full commitment. You're ashamed. You're disappointed. God says, use that to humble yourself, to now surrender to me. God says, I can still use you. I want to use you. And I brought you to this point. That's why Jesus shared that with Peter. I'm letting you know before it happens. So when it happens, you're not totally in despair. Come to me now and surrender to me. Father, we thank you for your message today. Your son surrendered to you. He recognized the agony of the cross was far greater. If there's anything that he could do or that you would do to change, to make that not have to happen, he would have wished for that, but yet he said, nevertheless, your will be done. He trusted in your provision, in your grace, and in your power, and in your purpose. That if you had purpose for him to do that, you would take him through. 
and you did, and you did. We thank you for that, Lord. We pray that in our disappointments, we humble ourselves before you. Not turn away from you in shame, but humble ourselves before you in humility. And we commit to serve you, but commit to live in your strength, to obey you. You've called us to obedience, to trust in you, to trust that in that moment that we are weak, that you will enable us. You will give us strength. You will provide what we can't even imagine. And we'll depend on that which you supply. So I pray right now, Lord, that hearts that have trusted you will be committed to you and serve you and do that not in their own strength but in yours. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.